And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. That we can, and so help us God, we will make America great again. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the No Gimmicks Podcast. I'm your humble host, as always, Brady Leonard. Hopefully you guys are having a terrific week. Uh, great show today. I was joined by my friend Chloe Anagnos. It's always a great time talking to Chloe. She's the best. Uh, we talked about all things uh, coronavirus-related, about uh, reopening this economy, uh, and we thoroughly just savaged the press <laughs> as, as usual, and of course, as usual, they deserve it. Um, yeah, before we get to Chloe, uh, I need to say hi to our friends over at The Aetherverse. Uh, guys, uh, The Aetherverse is a brand new sci-fi novel by authors Joey DeUrso and Eugene Bryan. Um, guys, look, be honest. You can tell me. I won't tell anybody. How many of you guys have not read a single book while under quarantine for the past, what, nine, ten weeks? Y'all should be ashamed of yourselves. Absolutely ashamed of yourselves. Turn off Netflix and read a libertarian-leaning sci-fi epic instead. Doesn't that sound way better? It should, because it is. Um, You guys are really going to like it. The story is more relevant than ever. Uh, It makes politics and social satire exciting and fun, mixing ideological debates with space battles and action and violence and all that good stuff. Um, It has something for everybody. Uh, Political intrigue, war stories, romance, humor. Uh, It appeals to libertarians and conservatives alike, or pretty much anybody who's a free thinker, okay? Anybody who doesn't like big government is really going to like this book, Um, Hit them up over on Amazon. You can get the book right now on Amazon uh, or check out more uh, at com. Once again, that is com. I'll tweet out the links, and I will also have uh, the link to the website and to Amazon in the show notes. Um, And, guys, look, uh, we complain a lot, all of us on the right, libertarians and conservatives. We complain all the time about the left winning the culture war, right? How Hollywood, how uh, publishing houses, how music, and all, all these industries are dominated by the left. Don't complain if you're not going to support libertarian and conservative art, okay? It goes both ways. If you, if you hate that the left is winning the culture war, support conservative and libertarian artists, these guys included. Check them out uh, at the com and get the book on Amazon. Uh, guys, also, please follow us on Twitter at NoGimmicksPod. Please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, or Spotify. If you're on iTunes, please give us a five-star rating and a good review. I'd really appreciate it. All right, without further ado, here is my chat with Chloe and Agnos. <laughs> All right, guys, we're here with my friend Chloe Anagnos. Chloe, how you doing? I'm well. How are you? I'm good. How you How you hanging in there? I mean, other than going on a lot of walks, watching TV, and, you know, obsessively cleaning my apartment, there's not much else to do. So, <laughs> Nope. <laughs> nope. But Not much to do. Not much to no, do. No, but for, fortunately, Indiana has been slowly but surely opening up this week, so I'm, I'm curious to see how it all plays out in the news and and you know i'm excited to see some businesses hopefully make a little bit more money absolutely well i mean we were told that uh every single citizen of georgia and florida would be dead by now uh, both of which started reopening a couple weeks ago and that never happened so i think you guys will be just fine in yeah yeah we'll be okay <laughs> so let's jump right in. we have a lot to cover today as always and uh, none of it's particularly good <laughs> but no of course uh, not Let's just start off here. We've gone from flatten the curve to flatten Western civilization in one month. 
Well, and flatten Western civilization and flatten the economy and stay home, save lives. And, you know, I think there's something to be said about an infectious disease that we don't know much about. Like, obviously, like if it's if it's going to spread, we want people to stay safe. We don't want to overrun our hospitals. But when the media is putting out information that might not be true, when China is putting out information and people are, are, are using it as the Bible and as absolute truth, that's a little scary. I don't know about you, but I do not trust anything that comes out of the communist regime of China. Um, so it's just been, I think, the first couple of weeks, it was, at least in my opinion, a, okay, you know, we can do this, let's stay home, let's see what the data says. And now it's just an absolute media circus. And I think in 10, 15, you know, 20 years from now, we're going to going to look back and say, wow, what a farce. Yeah, I mean, the the original, you know, what was it, two weeks, 15 days to flatten the curve or whatever, um, that, that was, I just don't think people understand what flattening the curve means. I mean, a lot of people just think that the objective here was to keep anybody from dying from this virus. And that's not possible. I mean, the same amount of people who are going to get it are going to get it regardless. Flattening the curve just spreads out the infection over a longer period of time. And the goal was to not overwhelm the, the hospital system, like you said. But there's not a single hospital, even in New York City, that's been overwhelmed. I mean, like, the they're, they're sending doctors home. I mean, the, the ship that the Navy sent up there to help, that left. Uh, I know, like, a Samaritan's Purse opened up that field hospital in Central Park. That's shut down now. I mean, they weren't—it wasn't necessary. They weren't needed. So— No. I don't I don't really know what we're doing at this point. And then, like we mentioned, some states are reopening. Um, most Democratic states are not, except for Colorado, I believe, uh, basically for no apparent reason. I mean, even going <laughs> further than that, L.A. County just extended their stay-at-home order until August 1st. That's For insane. some reason. Oh, my god. I mean, they're not—Los Angeles won't exist. August 1st no. when they finally reopen. I mean, it's going to be all over. But, I mean, the craziest thing is there's been hardly any deaths in L.A., and the best thing to do would be to, you know, go outside into the warm sun where viruses don't do very well. So, obviously, it's it's counterproductive, and the only, re the only rationale I can think of is just leftist politicians getting off on the ability to control people. And I think that's exactly what it is, and I think you're seeing a in a lot of more liberal states like New York, California, you're seeing an overreach of power, especially, I mean, oh my gosh, Michigan and Illinois. Oh my goodness. Ugh. It's, it's, it's disgusting to think that we, we border, uh, or at least where I am, it's disgusting to think that that's going on. I mean, not even four hours for me, but you're seeing a lot of folks who are losing not only their life, their livelihoods, but they're losing their mental health and oh, suicides. Yeah. I mean, yes. it, I can't uh, scroll through Facebook without seeing or Twitter, especially without seeing someone saying, yeah, my, my coworker, my husband, so-and-so committed suicide because they wanted to go back to work or they just don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. So I think these are the unintended consequences of, oh, just stay home. You'll be fine. Meanwhile, we have politicians who are making these decisions for us. I think Michigan's a prime example of these arbitrary laws about, okay, well, if you live in, you know, central Michigan and you have a lake home, home, you can't travel between your two properties, which is just absolutely insane. And it's then yeah. it's it's evil to say, oh, you can't travel between your properties when, when obviously Michigan is surrounded by lakes. Tons of people have second homes or rental properties. And then they say that, you know, a rowboat is okay, I think, but you can't be in your motorboat. It's, it's like, like what, are, what, 
what are you talking about? That absolutely makes no sense. Um, and, and I don't know about you over in Ohio, but I know of hospitals here in Southern Indiana that are losing up, up to a hundred thousand dollars a day in revenue because they can't do elective procedures. Yeah. I mean, that's, and they're sending elective nurses procedures home. Are, are what keeps hospitals afloat. Absolutely. And it's not like, it's not things like, oh, you know, you want to get a nose job or, you know, something as it relates to vanity. That's not what I'm talking about. I mean, knee right. replacements, right. Um, hysterectomies. I mean, things that people actually need to have done and it's just getting put off and put off and put off. I, um, my, my future mother-in-law is a healthcare, uh, uh, healthcare worker. She's a nurse and she has, has told me about people that are, calling in that are too afraid to go to the ER because they don't want to one be around people who have the virus or two, they don't think that their problem is as serious as uh, warranting an ER visit. And it's like, Hey, if you're having chest pains and you're over the age of 60, just go to the ER, go to the ER, <laughs> you know, yeah. just, just, just go to the ER, please don't, don't stay home. If you're seriously, you know, having some type of problem, um, as it relates to, you know, chest pains, if you have uh, uh, autoimmune disease like diabetes, something like that. I mean, come on. Um, it's just it's just really sad that people are just giving away their civil liberties in in the name of safety, quote unquote Ab safety. Absolutely. And we talked a lot about Michigan and, and California and New York, and uh, we haven't talked and, and not many people, you know, conservatives or libertarians, people on the right have, have mentioned Pennsylvania, but I was looking over some data coming out of Pennsylvania this morning. Uh, in Pennsylvania, and obviously they are a, a Democratic-controlled state, um, there's been around 4,000 coronavirus deaths. 3,000 of them were in nursing homes. Okay, And, and the Democratic mm -hmm. governor ordered nursing homes to take in patients who have tested positive for the coronavirus. So, like, 75% of these deaths were basically the government's fault, and Pennsylvania still extended their stay-at-home order for another month. Gosh. And then also, and then it gets worse. It gets worse. Also but in Pennsylvania. Wait, it's worse. But wait, there's more. The state's health secretary removed her own mother from a nursing home the day before giving the order for COVID positive patients to be accepted into nursing homes. Now, this is just pure, unadulterated evil. I mean, this is like Soviet Union style behavior from these Democrats in Pennsylvania. Absolutely. And I told I mean, I told you before we started recording, but if I had a grandparent that was in a home and I knew that something shady like that was going on, I mean, I would bust those doors down and say, nope, grandma, you're coming with me. Let's go. You know, that's just absolutely ridiculous. Oh, get this. So speaking of keeping people, um, you know, locked up, my uh, my my folks up in northern Indiana, um, my family, we have a restaurant. We're doing a large construction project, and a lot of the the people that we hire to help with odd jobs, small electrical jobs, are uh, men that live in our nearby mission, um, mm -hmm. our homeless shelter. And uh, great guys. They do fantastic work. My dad has one of them um, who goes over to their house. To, my parents are doing laying new floor, painting, just odd jobs that they've needed to have done. Um, and one of the guys... Uh, when our governor put out the stay-at-home orders, um, my dad w called up the the worker that he had come over to our his house pretty much every day, and uh, he said, "Hey, are, you know, can you come over today?" And he said, "No, because of the stay-at-home order, the mission isn't letting me leave." Like oh the like 
the mission will not let me leave to go to my job where my dad is paying him, you know, more than minimum wage, uh, paying him a living wage, which is better than just sitting around not working. Um, but what's crazy is that in Indiana's uh, executive order our gov- that our governor put out, jobs like painting, plumbing, laying tile, laying new flooring down, that's all considered essential. So my dad, being the the guy that he is, printed out the executive order, highlighted where it said plumbing and other like small maintenance, and went over and broke our friend out of the mission and said, "Hey, you can't just hold people hostage like this. Whenever there's, you know what, you know what I mean? Yes. Like, who does that? Yes. Who does that? And what he do you mean? Yeah, what do you mean? They're not letting him leave. This is an adult. This is an American. Yeah, and he's, this is an American citizen. He's oh an adult." Gosh. And, and my dad told me, he's like, yeah, I just, I kind of think it's ridiculous. And me being the crazy libertarian, you know, I don't like government, uh, as it is. I said, Hey, break him out and cause, uh, cause a little bit of a stir about it. Like that's ridiculous. So I'm, I'm glad he, he did that. But think about all those other guys who get odd jobs around town. I mean, and it's better than sitting around not doing anything and you're keeping people from making a living. And I think that's just one example of a lot of these these governors who have just really reached beyond their their capabilities here and they are keeping people from making a living. Yeah, it's, it's just a it's a it's a fucking mess. It's a shame. Um, look, I, I typically I'm annoyed when uh, during a crisis or something like this, when people just seem to confirm their own priors. But. For me, uh, all my priors have been basically confirmed <laughs> on both sure. sides of the political aisle. And and my, my, my usual premise is this, that Republicans are all cowards and Democrats are evil. You know, the Republicans are cowardly and the Democrats are evil. And, and you know, I'm not defending either side, but I, I, I would say, objectively speaking, the Democrats are about 50,000 times worse, at least in this situation. Uh, yeah, but I think there's absolutely. just a difference in kind between the behavior of the GOP versus the Democrats. And, I mean, Republicans are, they're essentially like the victims of domestic abuse, and their abuser is the press, right? So the Republican governors are destroying their states, destroying their economies, because they're so terrified of the press. You know, the the press have been calling Republicans evil for, you know, since for 100 years at this point. Uh, You just want to kill grandma. You know, they, they accuse Heck, they accused Paul Ryan of wanting to kill your grandmother because he wanted to, you know, lower the top tax bracket from like 49 percent to 48 percent or something like that. Oh, and my they accused, gosh. And they accused him of being a Nazi who wants to kill your family. Right. So they're just they're so used to being beaten by the press that they're just they're cowards. They, they're so scared of being abused again that they try. They fall in line with the leftist agenda. And then the Democrats are just trying to implement communism. I mean, they're, they're just a bunch oh, of absolutely. evil, dirty commies. I mean, it's just so it's like. Unfortunately, I just think my priors have kind of been confirmed at this point about both sides. Well, and what's what's crazy, too, is that, you know, if you asked probably either of us in 2018 if there would be some type of global pandemic that would push primary elections back, rattle the economy, leave people with, you know, uh, thoughts of suicide, we'd probably be like, "Mm, yeah, yeah, that's not going to happen. But unfortunately, it has. And it's also happening during a very important election year. And the press and other people would, would will always 
say that this is the most important election of our lifetime. But for Republicans, it's all about getting Trump reelected. Right. So I feel like a lot of people in at least state governments where you're more of a red state, you're trying to one, protect your ticket and two, protect your state and make sure that it turns red for Trump in November. Um, So I can see where a lot of folks in the GOP feel like they're being held hostage a little bit by the media because they don't want to screw up. And then Democrats can use it as a, oh, well, look at what governor so-and-so did. And they opened up too early and, you know, it's costing lives. Therefore, you can't vote for Trump in November. I mean, from a political marketing standpoint, that's what I that's what I would say if I was on the other side. Right. Right. But it, you're kind of stuck because you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. Like you're going to get you're going to get people on your side. Republicans are going to get mad if you don't open up soon enough, because most, I would think, care about civil liberties. But then you've got Democrats, you know, the crazy progressives on the other side that are going to pin you for grandma's death. You know, so you're just stuck between this rock and a hard place. And I don't really think anybody has the answer right now. And opening up businesses, oh, you know, saying, okay, here's dangling a little bit of liberty in front of them and saying, well, you can be at at 25 percent okay 25 percent capacity that's that's not liberty in in my mind that's no, just i mean wh- what percentage of what percentage of capacity does your parents restaurant have to be at to make a profit uh off the top of my head i'm not sure i'm sure it's higher than 25 percent it's higher than tw- <laughs> it's yeah it's higher than 25 percent and what kills me is that our bar is set up so that you can you can sit at the bar and order drink you can have an appetizer you can have your full meal at the bar and we have at least 10 high top tables in the bar area where you can also um you know it's prime seating it's in front of the windows you see all your friends folks walk in a lot of people want to sit in that bar top and it's like okay well you're already uh, and folks aren't allowed to sit in the bar area to eat which which is ridiculous so you're already cutting us from it's not 25 percent. now we're at only you know 50 percent of our restaurant can be used but in the usable space, we can only have 25% capacity. So that's a little closer to like 10%. But hey, don't worry, you can still do takeout orders. But I'm sorry, you don't want I mean, do you want to go to a restaurant and get a filet to go and a really nice bottle of wine? No, no, (laughs) I do. I do not. No, you want to sit there with like your girlfriend or your wife or your family or friends or whomever. And you want to actually enjoy it and enjoy the atmosphere. And that's what our restaurant is. So that's been very frustrating because restaurants takeout is not a sustainable form of revenue, right? And there have been, I don't know about Ohio, but there have been a lot of companies in the central Indianapolis uh, type area that are closing their doors for good. And you'll have a lot of people that say, well, you know, they probably weren't at a good, you know, good financial standpoint before the, before the coronavirus. So what? Excuse me. So what? If you, So so what? And that's what I say. And if you take a business's ability, a business's ability to, earn a living or to earn revenue for six weeks straight. I don't care if you're selling uh, baby clothes or shampoo or whatever. If you, if you have high overhead, like a lot of restaurants do, you're not going to make it. You no. know, I mean, so people are estimating, people are estimating that maybe 40 or 45% of bars and restaurants will never reopen. No, I they mean, won't. That, that, that is a horrifying number. They won't. That's, and it's absolutely 10 million. Horrible. That's 10 million jobs just gone forever. It's very risky to open a business, uh, to open a restaurant. Um, and I 
have, I'm, I'm Greek, right? So my family, we all have owned some form of restaurant here or another. It's very risky to open a restaurant. Of course. You're not, you're not going to see revenue maybe until, you know, you're not going to make a profit until maybe the second year, depending on your product, your inventory, your overhead. Um, but if it's very scary that a lot of these restaurants are not, not going to reopen, um, they're going to close their doors forever and we're going to be stuck with, I mean, we're probably going to be stuck with, you know, eating, eating at home a lot, but you look at Americans now, most Americans pre pandemic, 40% of their meals were eaten out, right. whether that was in restaurants, fast, casual dining, or some form of takeout. Most Americans don't really cook because our, our opportunities to get food has just changed so much in the last 10, 15 years. So, so I don't know, maybe more people will get better at cooking. Um, you know, maybe in five, seven years, things will be different in terms of food service. But it's just we're very lucky in that um, our, our main restaurant, we've had the building for so long that we're not paying rent. I mean, it's been right. in our family for more than 100 years, so we're, we're going to be fine. But a lot of our friends in, in northern Indiana aren't, and they've closed a lot of businesses. And it's just been very depressing, frankly, um, that you have a lot of these small family owned businesses that have been in town for generations that they just can't make it through this. They made yeah. it through, they made it through, Hey, they made it through the recession in 2008 and they right. can't make it through the pandemic. That's pretty sad. That is sad. Yeah. And I mean, even when everything's open and, and restaurants are allowed to, to open up to full capacity, whenever that is six months, a year, I, I, who knows, just people aren't going to pack into bars and restaurants for a while. No, like for me, they're, like I, they're I'm scared. the sing, I'm the singer in a rock and roll band, right? Like I don't know when I'll be able to tour again and play shows again, because like I don't know, like unless there's a vaccine that's a hundred percent effective, like I just don't see people packing into dive bars and to see my band. Like I just don't. I even when it's legal and and safe, it, people are going to be skeptical for a year, two years, more. You know, maybe two years. I I don't know. But it, it's going to take time. Like even when it's everything's legal again, and and the government, you know, takes their boot off all of our necks, it people <laughs> are still going to be scared. It, it, people are still going to be skeptical, and it's like we're going to be hurting. You know, people like your parents, people like me, we're going to be hurting for a long time. That it's going to outlive the the actual crisis and the legality itself. I I half agree with you. I think we're going to see a little bit of the and and follow me on this after 9-11 and I don't know if it's fair to compare 9-11 to this pandemic because right now our enemy is invisible right but I remember after 9-11 Americans were going by the by the truckload to airports flying saying hey we're not going to be scared and we're going to stand strong as a country and we're going to show you know our enemy abroad that we're not afraid because hey this is America damn it and we're going to fly and we're going to travel and life is going to go on. I, th I think that might be a little bit of the reaction once the media, the government, whomever has said, OK, it's safe to go out and re resume activities as normal. But what scares me is that I think the media and politics and American life and culture is so, so divided and so bitter and so angry that you're not going to see that coming together of Americans, whether you're Republican, whether you're Democrat, whether you're Latino, 
Latino, black, Asian American, whatever, white. I don't think you're going to see that this time around. So part of me like holds out that hope that we're going to come together and say, hey, everything's cool. You know, let's go out to restaurants. Let's continue on life pre-pandemic. But because of the way, especially, I mean, you look at the election of 20, 2008 how divisive that was 2012 and shoot even 2016 you have you have family members um that (laughs) that if you know you voted for trump there were some folks who were hillary supporters that didn't show up at thanksgiving you know um so i I feel like it's going to be a little bit of a mixed bag i would hope that people would come together and say hey we're not going to be afraid because that's the history of americans right we're not going to cower in the face of adversity Uh, but i don't know if that's how it is anymore yeah, that's that's a million dollar question, right? Like, I don't know yeah. if if that is who we are as a country anymore. I mean, as CNN just released a poll that said that sixty eight percent of res- respondents said that they they don't want to do anything unless until there's a vaccine. Sixty eight percent. So, like, I mean, it took us over six years to develop a vaccine for Ebola. Six years. Right. So, like. Is 68% of the country going to refuse to work, refuse to go out, refuse to do anything for six years? <laughs> I mean, like, that just, yeah, that's not, that's not realistic. I mean, that these people aren't no. living in reality. So it's, and here's the thing I blame the press. I, and you know me, I can't stand politicians. You're an anarchist. You really can't stand politicians. But I just, I sure. blame the press more than I blame even the politicians. And the politicians deserve blame. But I think the press is even more to blame. I mean, they've whipped the country up into a panic with their fear porn. 24 7 and i i don't know like i think some i I don't think every single state would have shut down if the press hadn't just whipped people up into a frenzy like this so like i I don't know who who do you think i I blame the press like as per usual on the show (laughs) I, i think the press is more to blame than anybody else i i agree with you i think it's a bit of a mixed bag too um i think the federal government has, I mean, they've, they've been doing the best they can and probably under the circumstances. I stopped watching a lot of the briefings because it got way too depressing and just not productive, right? I think a lot of governors are probably to blame. I think a lot of local politicians are to blame. I mean, we've got the mayor of Indianapolis uh, extended stay-at-home orders and is basically defying our governor's orders. And is saying, oh, you know, Indianapolis is too much of a hotbed. You know, forget it. We need to stay home until it's, it's not. Though. It's and, but, and it's know. and it's not. And you look at most, except for like downtown Indianapolis. A lot of Indianapolis is rural. Like especially yeah. when you get down to the south side, you still that's like an Indianapolis address, sure. But you're in farmland area. You know what I oh, mean? Yeah. So I think I think the press hasn't done a very good job either. And we were kind of talking about this earlier. But you look at Ebola. That whole scare in 2014, we had, what, four Americans that got Ebola, one of them died, and, you know, you had a media frenzy for probably a month surrounding Ebola, and people were freaking out at airports, and, oh my goodness, you know, you got to be careful, you got to be careful, and look at the death rate of COVID-19, it's what, less than 1%? Right. So, you know, if you're young, if you're young, you're going to, if you get it, you're going to recover, you can recover at home. I had a friend, a friend of mine mine is pretty sure that she got it. She couldn't get a test early on because she wasn't a healthcare worker. So her doctor just treated her as if she had COVID-19. She got a prescription inhaler and a week later she was fine. But if you're 
over the age of, what, 65, it's going to be a little bit more deadly. But the problem is you have these states, like in Pennsylvania, where they're just sending old people to these nursing homes and it's just running rampant with COVID-19. That's just not, it's, it's just not smart. <laughs> like who does that? Right. I so, mean, over, over half of the deaths, uh, nationally, including, I think it's 60% of New York, 75% of Pennsylvania, but over half the deaths nationally have been in nursing homes, which is just an astounding number. But, so we uh, need to ban nursing homes. That's the next step. <laughs> right. <I'm down. laughs> Let's just ban them. It seems like most of this could have been mitigated by protecting the nursing homes to begin with, and we didn't do it. And like you said, you know, like we mentioned a couple times already, governors have done the exact opposite and sent infected people to these nursing homes. It's just absolutely bonkers. And some of these governors should probably be in prison for that, or at least, at the very least, resign in disgrace and be, you know, cast out of polite society for the rest of their lives. At least if they were, if they were Republican governors, they would certainly, like Andrew Cuomo, sending all these sick people to nursing homes. Uh, I mean, if he was a Republican, he would be forced to resign uh, in oh, disgrace. Oh, would be horrible. You know, maybe he he would be sued by everybody. He wouldn't he wouldn't be able to show his face in the state the rest of his life. But look, before I let you go, Chloe, uh, I, I mentioned how much I hate the press. Uh, just a couple, and I don't even have a point to this. This is just a transition out of left field here. But uh, sure. I'm not even making a point. But I just want to talk about how stupid the press is. Uh, this is my favorite headline ever that I've ever seen. <laughs> And this is an op-ed from the New York Times yesterday. Ready for this? I'm ready. Quote, this is from the New York Times. Quote, running has always excluded black people. Unquote. Uh, wow. <laughs> I, it, I it goes just, on to I say can't. that the... It goes on to say how, like, only white people run and jog and stuff, and that's racist somehow. I mean... Has the New York Times ever heard of sports? Like, there's I, a lot of really fast black people in sports. Just throwing Usain it like Bolt, Jesse <laughs> Owens, <laughs> notorious I mean, white man Jesse Owens. My goodness, the New York Times. Gosh, and you know, it's just it, it, that whole situation. It just infuriates me. Um, but what infuriates me, I think, a little bit more is how the press has handled it and how they're running these like. An op-ed with that title, really, really, it's it's like you know, okay, first, like I'm the biggest proponent of free speech in the first amendment in the First Amendment, but did an editor not like look at that and say, hmm, this might not be the best thing to put out, you know, on the internet in the press? Just you know, just a thought. And part of me wonders if journalists are just so lazy that they just don't even <laughs> care anymore. No, I think you're right. And it's just so weird because that, I mean, that headline and the entire piece makes absolutely no sense. It's like the New York Times just wants a race war so bad that they'll just print whatever. But it gets worse. There's more. Oh, gosh. There's Even more. Even dumber than that headline in the Times yesterday is what CNN is doing on air. Later <laughs> oh, today. gosh. They are, <laughs> for anybody who missed it, uh, CNN is having a town hall panel kind of discussion with uh, quote-unquote coronavirus experts. One of those coronavirus experts on CNN today is none other than Greta Thunberg, who you, you guys might remember, the 16-year-old autistic child from Europe somewhere uh, who whines about global warming and stuff. So this is, I mean, if, th this is CNN, ladies <laughs> and gentlemen. I mean, if she's an expert on coronavirus, then what am I an expert on? 
right? Everything. I mean, maybe the list is long. I'm, I must be an expert on everything. Yeah. Well, and that's like, um, that's like, who's uh, Kim Jong-un's best friend? Uh, the name is escaping me. Basketball player, Dennis Rodman. Dennis Rodman. That's like, <laughs> that's like having him on a council about what we should do about nuclear warfare, right? But I mean, he, he has a personal relationship with Kim Jong-un, so maybe he has, you know, a little bit more, maybe he's a little bit more of an expert than Greta is, but come on. You know, it's just stuff. And just when you think 2020 couldn't get worse or more bizarre, then CNN hits you with this. Right. I mean, what else is in store in 2020? I mean, there's the whole pandemic and then May, May 1st, I think, is when uh, Murder Hornets new album dropped. Their new mixtape dropped, so that was a lot of fun with the the Murder Hornets. I mean, what's next? June 1st. Like, what the fuck is going to happen in June? I have no idea, but I mean, we have no sport, no sports, the Indianapolis 500, uh, the biggest sporting event in our state that usually happens in the month of May was pushed to August. Why though? Because I you're mean, in cars. So, I mean, you're literally by yourself in a car. So uh, I have no idea, but it, it's just everything that is fun and good about this world was just like <laughs> canceled. It's like there's no sports. Like we didn't have, no March madness. And oh my gosh, Chloe, it Chloe. Uh, I don't have the headline in front of me, but since I was just reading headlines from the corporate press, I, I mentioned this on Monday's podcast. Oh, shoot, what is it? I'll just paraphrase. It was from the Washington Post, though. It was from the head sports writer from the Washington Post. Okay. Oh and the op <laughs> the op ed was something, and I'm paraphrasing here, it was something along the lines of this pandemic has taught us that we need less sports in our lives. From the head sports writer from the... It's like, dude... He's talking himself out of a job. Read the room. (laughs) Read the room. I would watch anything. I would watch that ridiculous Canadian sport with the... They're on ice with, like, the brooms and the giant rock. What the fuck is that called? Curling. I would watch curling curling right now. I'm so bored. Okay? So, no. Sorry, Washington Post. (laughs) We we definitely need more sports right about now, not less. Oh, my gosh. I saw a Babylon Bee article that said uh, something to the effect of most American men are so bored they're watching soccer. <laughs> and I, I was like, far. yep, I'd, I don't think I could go that far either. But it's like I, I, I absolutely love college basketball. And when March Madness was canceled, I was just like, well, there goes that. I just hope our football season is not taken away from us, NFL or college. I love college football. I like college sports more than I do professional sports. Um, but it's like, if we don't have that, what are we going to do this fall? I have no idea. No tailgates. They, they have to like the NFL will go on as schedule, probably without, you know, fans in the audience, but the NFL, there's too much money to be made. I mean, they, they'll make it work. Uh, yeah. College, college football is interesting though, because most colleges are not going to open. No, which Mm-mm. there's no reason for that. Like if you're I mean, if you're a col- if you're a college age student, your your risk of dying if you can track the virus is essentially zero. But like so it doesn't make any sense unless right. you're trying to just protect the professors and stuff. But like it would be it would be odd, though, if they have the college football season, but they don't open the colleges. So like what they would be saying is like there's too much money to be made to not have college football. But it's also too dangerous for kids to be on campus, but not if you're a football player. And also, even though we need this money to keep the colleges open, these athletes don't deserve to be paid. So that'd be like a weird, right. weird <laughs> mental pretzel 
of mental gymnastics that they would have to go through to try to like justify that. So like I definitely think there's more danger of the college season not happening than the NFL. Right. And you know the other thing too just from a marketing standpoint, sports is the number one marketing tool of any university, any college. I mean, oh, yeah. you look at uh what's the name of the school out in Maryland? Um their mascot's the Golden Retriever and like Two, two, three, four years ago, they made it to oh, yeah, yeah. the they Sweet beat, Sixteen. They beat yeah. Virginia. Yeah, they beat Virginia, and it was a, it was like a huge deal. I can't remember what the name is, but their like Twitter was on point, oh, and yeah. it still is on point for the lo- longest time. And their college applications that fall went through the roof <laughs> yeah. because people knew who they were. Right? It's a so, tiny school. It's like it's like oh, uh, it's so tiny. It's super like small. University yeah. of Maryland at Baltimore or something, something. It's like a tiny little, yeah. you know, yeah. there's like seven people go to this college. Yeah. Right. Maybe like 10 total because three commute from DC or something. Right. right. But it's like, you know, you have re- a really good football. Se- there's a correlation between a really good football or a really good basketball season and incoming freshman applications. Um, and I had a whole, like when I was an undergrad, I had a whole marketing, like, like analysis. I have to find it somewhere, but I had this huge white paper about, um, I think at the university of Idaho and their football program. Are they the ones with the blue football field? I can't quite remember this was so long uh, ago, but that's Boise state, Boise state. Yeah. Boise state. But it's, um, you know, it's an absolute, it's a thing, right? So I'm curious to see to your point like okay if a lot of students don't go to campus especially probably in schools like california new york um and like a lot of these major cities what's going to happen with athletics how's that going to affect pay how's that going to affect tuition i mean you know college college is already kind of a farce um especially with tuition prices especially when you have a lot of these schools that are subsidized by the government right so that's going to be very interesting to see the future of higher education moving forward. Well, I mean, I think, you know, uh, higher education should be burned to the ground and rebuilt. So, you know, yeah, maybe, yeah. maybe we'll maybe we'll get that. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, Chloe, thanks so much for doing this. I'm sure we'll do it again soon. It's always a great time talking to you. Uh, where can everybody follow you online and keep in touch and all that good stuff? Uh, follow Follow me at Chloe and Agnos. I'm on the Instagram. I'm on the Twitter. I'm the only Chloe and Agnos that's most likely on the internet since I'm the only one with that name. Um, even in Greece, and Agnos is a very, very uncommon last name. So follow me there. I'm always interested to hear story ideas. Um, if people have anything that's going on as it relates to COVID-19, I'm always interested to hear about how their freedoms are being trampled and hopefully can shed some light to it. Um, and if people need marketing help, I'm now a full-time consultant which is super fun um crazy busy but also very exciting at the same time so if people have complex marketing pr branding uh uh, problems that they need me to solve i'm all ears all right definitely hit her up for all your marketing needs ladies and gentlemen everybody follow chloe she's great uh that's all i got for today i'm brady leonard i'll be back on monday no gimmicks (laughs) 